Welcome to Words of Grace, radio ministry of Elder Ben Winslet, pastor of the Flint River Primitive Baptist Church near Huntsville, Alabama. We invite you to stay tuned to today's broadcast. Our broadcast today is entitled, The Importance of Friends with Good News. Today on Words of Grace, I want to share with you a portion of our message last weekend at Flint River Primitive Baptist Church from the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 1 through 7. Specifically, the portion of that message that we want to share with you concerns verses 5 through 7 and how Paul, though he was in a period of discouragement, though he was being afflicted by many people, he was being opposed and oppressed in his gospel efforts in great tribulation, he received a message from a dear friend that the church at Corinth had repented after he had written 1 Corinthians to them, and despite all of the trouble 
that he was presently experiencing. He gloried in them, he was filled with comfort, and he was exceedingly joyful because of this good news that had come from a far country, as it were. As we shared those thoughts with our congregation here at Flint River, that gave us the opportunity to also speak about what it means to be a good friend, to love the people that you're friends with, to even share hard truth with them at times, as faithful are the wounds of a friend. And ultimately, we spoke about the friend of sinners, he who no more calls us servants but his friends, the friend that sticks closer than a brother, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We hope you enjoy this very relevant portion of Scripture from Second Corinthians chapter 7. Here is the importance of friends with good news. Let me give you one of the greatest pits that a preacher can fall into. And it happens more when preachers are discouraged. If I, as a preacher, am negative when I issue corrections, and we have done so over the past several messages here, to not have fellowship with darkness, that's a correction. To serve because you were saved, that's a correction. But I can say that in such a way that it is negative and condescending and oppressive and even at times abusive to the flock. We have to remember that we do not beat the sheep of Christ, but we feed the sheep and we lead the sheep. If a minister says, this is right, this is wrong, he's not condemning you. He's trying to what? He's trying to help you. I'm not condemning you. You're in my heart to die and live with you. I would die for you. I would die with you. I would live for you, Paul says. I'm not condemning you. You know what's on my heart. You know how much I care. I speak this not to condemn you, for I've said before, you're in our hearts to die and live with you. Great is my boldness of speech towards you. Paul was bold in his speech. Great is my glorying of you. I am filled with comfort. I am exceeding joyful in our tribulation. Now, we said before, he says he wronged none, corrupted none, and defrauded none. Here we read about glorying, comfort, and joy. Great is my boldness of speech towards you. Great is my glorying of you. He has seen something in them, or more properly, heard of something in them that caused him to glory. And we're approaching the main point about friends with good news. Something Paul heard from someone has caused him to glory. What does it mean to glory? This word also translates rejoicing, and this word translates boasting. Sometimes the word is used in a positive context, rejoicing. Sometimes the word is used in a negative context, boasting. We are commanded in the Bible not to boast, but at the same time, people rejoice and people glory in the Lord. The difference on whether or not this is a good or a bad thing has to do with are we rejoicing and glorying in God, or are we bragging about our own selves? Perhaps the sense here, Paul can now brag on the Corinthians. I'm glorying of you. I'm rejoicing so much that I could boast of how great it is that you have turned from what was affecting you. I've heard about it. I heard this news in a moment of affliction, and now I'm glorying of you. 
I am filled with comfort. I am comforted in what I have learned. Was Paul comforted when he wrote 1 Corinthians? They were factioned off after who their favorite preachers were. I'm of Paul. I'm of Cephas. I'm of Apollos. I'm of Jesus. There were people there who were committing gross sin, people who were glorying in the sin, people who were suing one another in the church, going before courts of law instead of handling their civil problems within the church as an arbitrative body. They were getting drunk at communion. The who's who got to enjoy that. Those who were lower in their estimation didn't get to enjoy that. And it made a mockery of the Lord's Supper. But there were also great heresies in the church at Corinth. The denial of the resurrection itself. Do you think Paul was comforted when he wrote that epistle? But when he wrote it, guess what they did? They sorrowed that they had done wrong and they repented. And so Paul now says... I am comforted, filled with comfort, because you turned from the problems that were literally destroying this church, destroying your personal lives, and bringing a reproach upon the cause of Christ. And I'm filled with comfort because of it. You turned. And I'm joyful in all tribulation. Paul says, look, I am being afflicted, as we'll see in a moment, from every direction. People are beating me. They're cussing me. They're arresting me. They're trying to put me to death. And yet in all of this trouble, I am full of joy. I'm exceeding joyful beyond. To exceed is to go beyond. I'm exceeding joyful because of what I learned about you after I wrote that first epistle. If you think for a moment that the condition of a church does not have a tremendous effect on the mental, spiritual, and even physical health of a pastor, you don't know what it means to be a pastor. For when we were come into Macedonia, our flesh had no rest, but we were troubled on every side. Without were fightings, within were fears. On every hand, from every direction, All around Paul and his companions, there's trouble. People scream at him. People call him names. People hit him. People arrest him. People run him out of town. We're troubled on every side. Without were fightings. Within were fears. That's beautiful language from a literary standpoint. Without were fightings. Within were fears. Now, he could be referring to the overall mental state of the church under affliction and assault. If we thought that any moment someone could come into our assembly and start hurting people, wouldn't you be afraid as you gathered? But I think part of what Paul references too, without were fightings, within were fears, is what is going on in his heart. When your life is full of oppression, opposition, when people are lying about you and resisting you and hurting you and trying to destroy you, what is it that your heart is experiencing? Fear, uncertainty. I'm afraid of what's going to happen. I worry about it. And we know be careful for nothing, but that's easier said than done, right? 
And so fightings are without and fears are within. What in the world would be so uplifting to Paul that despite all of the affliction and tribulation, the fightings and the sufferings, he would be glorying, filled with comfort, and exceeding joyful? What would do that to him? Paul received good news from a far country through the the visiting of a dear friend named Titus. And the good news is that the church of Corinth has turned from the problems, the sins, the errors that he addressed in 1 Corinthians. I think we underestimate how important the health of the kingdom of God should be. If Paul says, I can be beat and arrested, but I don't care about any of that and I'm overflowing with joy because your church got healthy, then the health of the kingdom of God matters a lot more than we might think in today's time. Think about how important the health of Corinth was to Paul. It ought to mean more to us than it does. And I don't speak that to condemn us, to lecture us, to criticize us. But obviously, this is the most important thing in this man's life, isn't it? Is it in yours? Is it in mine? We have all of these troubles. Nevertheless, God, which comforteth those that are cast down, comforted us by the coming of Titus. Titus. First of all, God comforts those that are cast down, and he did so in Paul's life at this time through the arrival of Titus, and not by his coming only, verse 7, not just because Titus showed up. Now, first of all, who is this man, Titus? Titus is one of Paul's sons in the ministry. That means Paul is his mentor. Titus is his apprentice. Titus was a Greek. Titus was not a Jew. Titus would have been an early Gentile convert of the Apostle Paul. How many of you are familiar with the Council of Jerusalem in Acts chapter 15? Pharisees come down from Jerusalem and they teach Gentile Christians in Antioch that they can't be saved unless they're circumcised. Titus would not be compelled, by the way. Titus would not be compelled. No, I don't have to do that. Then they teach that, no, not just to be circumcised, you have to keep the entire law or you cannot be saved. That's how error grows, by the way. Paul and Barnabas go to Jerusalem to meet with the rest of the elders and the apostles about that question. They have a great debate. At the end of it, Peter stands up and he says that we believe by the grace of God we shall be saved even as they. The law is an unbearable yoke that none can bear. And then they write to the Gentiles, look, keep yourselves from idols, from fornication. But all of these Jewish laws, they don't apply to you. Christ has fulfilled the law. Fare ye well. It's an amazing passage of Scripture for you to know when people try to get you to keep the law. In Galatians chapter 2, Paul says that Titus was with him on that journey. He's not mentioned in Acts. But in Galatians 2, Paul says he was with him on that journey to Jerusalem. 
Paul also left him in Crete in the entire island to ordain elders in every city and set in order things that are wanting. Paul gave him great responsibilities. This is a dear friend. This is one of his closest friends. We usually emphasize another man whose name starts with a T as being a yoke fellow of Paul. Who is that man? Timothy. Titus is a man just like Timothy to Paul. Paul was happy because Titus came to visit him. Earlier in this epistle, he looked for him and he couldn't find him and he was sad. Titus comes to him and he is lifted up. Why was he lifted up? Not by his coming only. Now, by the way, God comforts those that are cast down. Does God comfort Paul? And listen to me, this is going to be very important. Does God comfort Paul simply by uploading some sort of cheerful demeanor in Paul's heart in the midst of persecution? God comforts Paul, rather, by sending a friend to bring him an uplifting word. God comforts Paul by sending Titus. My dad always said when I was a little boy, God is a God of means. And by that, he means that God will use people to accomplish his purposes in the world. Now, there are some things he does without because he is the means. Salvation, for instance. But God sends militaries in to accomplish his judgments in the Old Testament. God uses men to administer all of the ordinances of the Old and the New Covenant. He uses men to preach. He used men to write the Word. God is a God of means, and the means of comforting Paul was Titus. Do you think Titus knew that when he went there? No. He's just doing his job. Titus sends them word. They repent. Titus comes back to Paul. Titus says, Paul, you wrote that letter, and it made them so sorry. They sorrowed, but that led them to turn from what they were doing that was destroying that church, and now they're healthier than ever. And Paul was overflowing with joy. That is what a friend does. That is what a friend can do. That's the power that you have as a friend. Not by his coming only, but by the consolation wherewith he was comforted in you. You notice that the comfort began with Titus, and then he shares it with Paul. I want you to think about what you say to your friends as something that is communicable. You can receive joy and share that and lift their spirit. What if I hear bad news and then I turn around and I gossip that bad news to them instead? Now, there are times I need to hear bad news. But if it's not helpful, do I need to know it? No. Well, maybe I don't need to hear this news after all. We don't want to be gossips and busybodies and tattlers. Those are all words for things the Bible discourages. Titus is encouraged by what he sees in Corinth, and so Titus goes and finds Paul. And he says, let me tell you about them. They have turned. They're doing better. They're healthy. Paul is so joyful that even in the midst of tribulation, fear on the inside, fightings on the outside, that he overflows with joy because of what he hears, so much so that he wanted to brag on them, and he was filled with comfort. A friend comes to him and brings him, let's try this one, good news from a far country. You know what Proverbs writes about good news from a far country? That it's like cold waters to a thirsty soul. Have you ever heard good news that somebody brings to you? It's like giving cold water to a person who is parched 
and dying of thirst. Your soul yearns and longs for it, and it nourishes you. That is the role of a friend, to lift up, encourage, and bless the other one. I'm going to give you just a little bit about friendship from the Bible, the importance of such friends. I want to ask you, have you ever had a friend bring you such a crucial word of encouragement, a good word at such an important time in your life that it was invaluable because you don't know how you would have gotten through it without them? I think you can say, yeah. Have you ever been that friend that brought that word to somebody that made a difference, at times even life and death, in a person's spirit to bring them that good word? You probably have and you might not even know. Now, throughout this week, I've considered, I've thought on Titus and contrasted him in my mind with Job's three friends. Job was afflicted by Satan because Satan challenges God. Job only fears you for nothing because you hedged him about. He'll curse you to your face if you take away this protection. God says, all that he has is in your hand. Don't touch his life. But you're wrong. God's omniscient. He knows. Job suffers, he never curses God, he loses his family, he loses his health, he loses his wealth. Job is a very dangerous book if you don't rightly apply it. There are people who will deny parts of it because it makes them uncomfortable, and there will people who will abuse parts of it because they take it too far. You don't want to deny it, you don't want to abuse it, you want to rightly divide it. Job's three friends come to him, and for seven days they sit silently as Job sits in his misery. After a week, Job begins to speak, and he laments the situation the very day that he was born. I curse my day. I curse my existence. He never cursed God, but he didn't know why these things were happening in his life. He would learn by the end. Job's friends begin arguing with him. Job, you are only suffering because you are harboring secret sin. God is judging you. There's something you're doing that's wrong because you wouldn't be experiencing these hardships unless you were displeasing God. Now, chastening is one cause of suffering in the world. Is it the only cause? No. Do you know why one person is suffering and another person is not? No. Now, it's a pretty good indication if you see me on a stretcher after running 150 miles an hour on the interstate. It might have had something to do with me speeding. But when someone goes through an affliction like in the life of Job, how dare we be so presumptuous as Job's friends as to say, you're suffering because you have done X, Y, Z. Number one, you and I do not know, and we are always on dangerous ground saying we know the mind of the Lord. Who hath known the mind of the Lord? Who's been his counselor? That's Bible. Number two, regardless of the cause of the affliction, our response is to be the same, which is to humble ourselves and pray. Whether I'm suffering as a Christian, whether I'm suffering for the glory of God, whether I'm being persecuted for my faith, if I'm being chastened of God, or if I've simply brought some problem on myself because I did something that was foolish, when I find affliction, I'm to humble myself and pray. Job's friends, in chapter 16 and verse 2, he would call what? Miserable comforters. What does Titus do to Paul? 
He comforts him to the degree that Paul is filled with comfort. I have a list of Proverbs about friendship. Proverbs 17, 17, a friend loveth at all times. A friend loveth at all times. Proverbs 27, 6, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. A friend tells you the truth even if it hurts. But remember, Paul doesn't write to condemn. He writes to help. A friend tells you the truth even if it hurts. Proverbs 27, 9, hearty counsel is a perfume to a friend's heart. Apples of gold and pitchers of silver, a good word fitly spoken. You come to a friend and you share that. It's like a perfume to their soul. But hearty counsel is like a perfume to a friend's heart. Don't you think Titus's words to Paul were like a perfume, a fragrance to Paul's heart? It smelled good to hear. Proverbs 27, 14 warns against going around praising your friend from dawn to dusk because you're going to get on their nerves. Friends need boundaries, right? Proverbs 27.17 speaks about iron sharpening iron, so a friend sharpens his friend's countenance. We can sharpen one another. Proverbs 18.24, a friend must show himself friendly. He that hath friends must show himself friendly. And commentators are divided on whether or not that means if you want to have friends, you need to be friendly. That's true. Or watch out if you have too many friends because you're going to need to be friendly to a whole lot of people. That's also true. Perhaps as a sense of irony. However, the closing part of that verse, and there is a friend that what? Sticketh closer than a brother. You know, our slogan here is to start at any principle and run as fast as we can to the cross of Jesus Christ. There is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. You know, he's called the friend of sinners. In John fifteen fifteen, he says, I call you henceforth no more my servants. You know what he calls you? But I call you my friends. As we think on that, that I leave you with, how can you be the best friend possible? Well, you could look at Titus's example, but let me give you a better one than Titus, the friend that sticks closer than a brother. You want to be a good friend? Study the life of Jesus. In fact, if you want to be a good husband, study the life of Jesus. If you want to be a good son, study the life of Jesus. If you want to be a good brother, study the life of Jesus. Whatever it is that you want to be, a better Christian, a better prayer, a better preacher, a better follower, study the life of Jesus. Jesus is our example. He is the friend that sticks closer. I leave you today with an admonition. Paul was afflicted. Titus came and cheered him up with good news from a far country, which was like a cold water to his thirsty soul. It was like perfume to his heart. Might we ask ourselves how we can be that friend to other people and study the example of our Savior and study His Word to learn how to do that? Might we be such a friend as Titus? Let's pray. Father, thank You so much for the friend that sticks closer than a brother. Thank You for the friends that You've given us in our lives. Thank you, Lord, for those moments where a friend comes and gives an uplifting and encouraging word when we are afflicted, and you you send them our way. Many times they have no idea, but they encourage us, they lift us up, they build us up, 
they edify us, they strengthen us. And Lord, as we hear those faithful words of a friend, our countenance is improved, it's sharpened. It is like a perfume to our heart. It's like cold water to a thirsty soul. We pray, Lord, that we could be good friends like Titus was to Paul. And we pray, Father, that we would be equally encouraged when we hear good news of things happening in your kingdom, that despite whatever's happening in the world around us, that we would be most overjoyed when things in church and churches are going well. Forgive us of our sins. Help us to be biblical friends. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you enjoy the messages you hear on Words of Grace, consider this your invitation to visit a Primitive Baptist Church in your community. An online directory is available at marchtozion.com. Copies of this and other broadcasts are available for download on iTunes and on our website. And finally, Words of Grace is a listener-supported program. To contact us, address your correspondence to Words of Grace Radio, 641 Moontown Road, Brownsboro, Alabama, 35741. Or visit us online at flintriverpbc.org.